And we are live with our 45th episode of Absolute AppSec. I'm Ken Johnson at CK Tricky on Twitter, uh, joined by my co-host Seth Law at Seth Law on Twitter. Seth, say hi. Hey, everybody. Excuse the voice today. I've been a little bit under the weather, but we're, we're going to try and make it make it work today. Um, yeah, we got a lot to talk about. We've got uh, Sean with us and... Uh, yeah, I'm excited. As usual, I'm a little loopy too, so it should be fun. <laughs> yeah, and if you don't know Sean, Sean is the uh, product security and assurance. He leads product security and assurance at Verizon Media, which Sean, this is kind of weird. It, it was Verizon Media. Before that, it was Oath, and then it was AOL. So you've seen a lot of change, basically, in a short period of time. Just a few years, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's been um, almost three years here. I think I had just about a little over a year as AOL. Then we smushed AOL and Yahoo together along with VDMS and a couple other properties. And boom, now we're Oath. And then we were Oath for about a year and a half. And now we're getting used to calling ourselves Verizon Media. So it's <laughs> the dawn of a new day. Who knows what next year will offer us? Yeah, I mean, who knows? Don't don't invest too much in, in company swag or do. I don't know. <laughs> That's right. So before you were at Verizon, you worked uh, as the director of software security at College Board. Um, and we're going to obviously get back, we're going to get into your background quite a bit more uh, throughout this episode. In fact, that's the whole point. We want to get to know you. Um, and I know you've worked at IBM as well. Um, and I, I think that from my personal take, like having, having known you, um, one of the things I definitely hope that we get to hear a little bit about is sort of your leadership style, where it's inspired from. And we'll get to that uh, later. But I think that, um, you know, of all the things you've done, uh, a lot of it has focused on leadership and corralling uh, various efforts and groups together. Um, so I'm I'm happy to have you on the episode. I know it's Seth is as well. So thank you for joining us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. Looking forward to it. Seth, do you want to kick off the episode? Sweet. Sure. Um, uh, this week's AppSec Minute uh, is inspired by Sean actually coming on board. Sean's done a lot with kind of bug bounty programs over there at Verizon Media slash Oath slash AOL slash whatever you want to call it tomorrow. Um, but one of the things that we've been discussing quite often is how to maximize your value coming out of the bug bounty program, right? Um, you got a whole bunch of researchers that are typically pretty dedicated and pretty good at finding their specific niches. Um, and there's methodologies that exist that are out that are out there and you've got a team internally that can actually find a lot of the low hanging fruit and keep that from entering into the bug bounty payouts, I guess, right? Um, Sean, what have, what have your strategies been in like minimizing that, uh, those low hanging fruit or those low hanging vulnerabilities? Yeah, you know the way the way I look at it, right? Is 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 if you're paying out for a bounty, you want to figure out how to uh, derive the most out of every dollar that you're spending. So you could buy you buy the vulnerability, but that's just the first step. The next step is then to say, what did the researcher do that was unique that got them that vulnerability, and then do something that I'm I'm dubbing the bug bounty life cycle, which is feeding that information back into the product security and dev side of the house to make sure that there's a a broad based evaluation of how did that how did that get into uh, production environment, and then how do you route that out with um, tools and processes into the pipeline, right? So how can we take some of the techniques that we know are out there 
and embed those into our pre-production activities and, and ensure that we don't see that type of vulnerability again. And so, yeah. and, and so that's a kind of a, a, a continual feedback loop. Yeah. I, I mean, that's always kind of a hard, I don't know, I, as, as a consultant, right. Coming in is that's, that's, that's the ideal that you want to see. Like if I find a bug, I want you to take that and actually you learn from it for, as an organization, right? And as a researcher, I, I would expect that as well. Um, there's some really good resources that are out there if uh, an organization is struggling with this, right? If they're, you know, paying out a lot of, you know, server banners or whatever, right? Low-hanging fruit. Right. Um, the, one of the biggest is uh, Jason Haddock's, right? He's got his bug hunters methodology, I think is what he calls it, that is actually a YouTube video you can go and watch. And he talks about all the different tools that the bug hunters or the bug bounty researchers use in enumerating hosts, enumerating directories, um, like the stuff that they run on a daily basis to find those those vulnerabilities. And if you can get ahead of that, and I know there's a couple services that are out there that'll do something similar, but if you can get ahead of that, that's an easy way to actually maximize that value and make sure that they're concentrating on what you would consider to be higher critical risk vulnerabilities instead of the low hanging fruit. Um, I, I think you mentioned something else as we were talking before the episode though. I mean, I mentioned the bug bounty um, or the bug hunters methodology from Jason. Is there anything else that you've, you've identified? Yeah, there are a couple tool, tools. We were looking uh, just recently at um, Asset Note, um, and you know, um, there's obviously there's you know uh, Jacket and Burp, and there's and and each researcher has their own unique unique tool, right? So some of them um, they've even pulled uh, open source. There's uh, small cheap products. There's products they use in a in a very specific way. So you can you know you can follow you know guys like um, and and each each researcher a lot of times has their specific um you know go to right like um you know um mark litchfield who's a part of our bug bounty program now we, he, he went from being a researcher to joining the program um one of his uh sweet spots is idor right okay so, you yeah. know it's you, so if you can build a relationship with the researchers and i think on one of the past absolute absex i heard you guys talking about how you know how you build those those relationships and how that derives value for your program that's exactly it right so we say hey you're going to make us better and we're going to make you better right we're going to keep we're going to keep evolving our product security capabilities we're going to keep adding more tools to the toolkit dropping that into the pipeline finding more of those low hanging fruit and forcing you to get better at how you find bugs and if you get better on our platform you're going to get better on ken's github platform and other folks platform and now we're going to start just making the, the broad-based community better so yeah. that's the philosophy we'll see if the bug hunters buy into the philosophy <laughs> i think they will i think they will yeah I mean, a lot a lot of them there's a lot of pride that's involved in that community and finding really juicy bugs and interesting bugs and just running you know running some kind of scanning tool and finding something that you may not have you know had time to to find or slip through the cracks you know, that's, that's not as sexy in the community. No, I, yeah. I mean, I, I know from like, even from a consulting perspective, as I go in and I, you know, I'm doing a, you know, pen test of some application or whatever, right. Uh, people ask, they'll be like, oh, well, how did you find that bug? And I'm like, well, you know, actually I ran burp scanner against it and it identified SQL injection, right? Like that's how easy it was. Right. You know, I'm like, yeah, like we can talk through it, but it didn't take actually a lot to do so it's not like something that i'm gonna like hold up as hey i'm gonna post do a medium post about this or whatever um but most of those medium posts that i end up reading from the bounty researchers there's like three or four vulnerabilities that they chain together and it's super interesting right it, but it usually starts with that low-hanging fruit 
-hmm. that's what most of the organizations need to to realize. If you're not scanning your own external network with something like Burp or you know NetSpark or one of the other dynamic scanners, just to figure out what's there, you're leaving uh, money on the table for those bounty hunters to find, right? Yeah, yeah. And so, there's um there's an article, uh, it's like a Sands article from Jason Pubal, I think. It was sort of the it's a 25 page how to on standing up a bug bounty program, and then yeah. you know the classic flavor is you know you 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 pick a you pick a product, then you do a pro, um uh, your product security function. So you do all your source scanning, you do all the low hanging fruit, get rid of that. You start on a really small private program, and then you launch it. So by the time you get to the public program, in theory, you have you know eradicated a lot of the low-hanging fruit, but then software changes and you, you keep pumping product out and new things show up, right? So, uh, you know, along those lines, right? And I can, if I'm just going too fast, just let me know, right? Like I said, no, I'm not at all. like loopy, so I'm just running down paths. Um, <laughs> no, no, I was actually looking at Mark Litchfield. I, I was kind of looking at his, I, which yeah. I didn't realize until, well, congratulations on the pickup, by the way, I'm Mark Litchfield, but I didn't realize he and David Litchfield were brothers. I had no idea, like, for whatever reason, that was... Something I didn't know. So now I learned. Yeah, Mark keeps telling me he's the better brother. I don't know. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Smarter, better looking, <laughs> all around, yeah. just much, much better brother. Sweet. Well, Dave, I don't know. You. I'm just kidding, man. <laughs> no, I was going to ask. I mean, obviously, like, you know, the number of properties that are in scope, right, for your bug bounty program, um, like uh, that pathway makes sense. But there's a lot that's in there. I mean, there's a lot of subdomains. There's a lot that you may or may not know about, just given the, the the pace of development at a modern, you know, very flexible, very tech heavy organization. Like, what are your strategies for for keeping on top of that? Yeah, that's um that's an incredible challenge in this in this size organizations. And and in fact, there's sometimes I I, you know, lament and I say, you know, man, wouldn't it be awesome to be at, you know, a startup with a, a, a single tech stack and we could start security from scratch, right? Um, but then obviously you're scrapping for dollars and you're you're a security a security uh, team of one. Yeah. But um yeah, no, our big our big challenge is, you know all the different brands, all the different tech stacks. Um, there's there's a lot of great tooling that came from each of these companies. You know, like when I first joined AOL, I was really impressed by um, the technical acumen that we had here and um, the history and discipline. And, you know, when we saw what Yahoo had, they had some great stuff as well. And so now combining that all together, there are a lot of tools that we can leverage, but now we got to, you got to you got to connect all of that together, and um, what we're what we're trying to do is do this full pathway from discovering the properties to performing product security services to prov providing bug bounty services, um, yanking that data back out, and providing an executive dashboard that shows the quality of those services across the entire portfolio, and then how are we doing within each slice of the portfolio at a quick visual, and then we can dive in and sort of you know ramp different products up and, and incorporate different services as they come on board. Yeah, that's... I yeah, I mean it's a, it's a huge problem, right? Like, it, I, and it's it it's not necessarily a problem that we've talked about on the podcast and in, in the past. This is part of the reason I'm excited to have you on. I mean, um, a lot of the times, you know, most of our guests that we've had up to this point haven't necessarily been in the you know running a huge program or management role. It's been more of hey, they're day to day, they're boots on the ground, they're finding SSRF or they're building tools around that. So it's it's interesting to get that aspect of all right, 
holistically, what is a, what does an application security program look look like? Um, uh, you know, probably I can't remember how long ago we had Justin Larson on, um, and he's trying to build an AppSec program at one of those startups like you're talking about. But it's it's him. He's the only guy. He's trying to develop these relationships with developers, find tooling, find resources, and the problems that he run in, runs into are vastly different than what you're seeing, um, at, at least at the level that you are. I mean, like I know the guys at Oath, or I know the guys at Verizon Media that are extremely technical, especially on the development side, that if you can't hang with them, I'm sure that's an issue, right? Uh, being able to speak to their level when they're doing, uh, they're running what, Edgecast or you know, whatever it is that it, that's on that that front. So I, I can see how you know fostering the relationships with bug bounty researchers is, is extremely important, but also like managing the program as a whole becomes a different level or goes to a different level. If that makes yeah. any sense. No, no, it really. I mean, it really does, and it, I'm 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 still. It still strikes me as just fascinating how some of the same techniques that we talked about, you know eight years ago in AppSec still apply and it still apply whether you're building a small program or a big, big program, right? It's most people, I, you know, how many AppSec managers or, or, you know, folks leading pen test programs say, I got plenty of people. I'm good. Like, don't give me anybody else. Um, and I'm all set. So, so what do you have to do? What are the strategies that you have to use? One of them we always talk about, right. Is the satellites champions, that kind of thing. Right. But this is really crucial because you have these, you know, now, the fun part of AppSec is that the onus is now on us. It used to be developers really didn't really didn't know. I mean, they hadn't heard of cross-site scripting or, you know, and you're ramping them up on, oh, here's what this can do or click jacking or whatever. Now they know about it. Now they're security aware for the most part. And they come to you and they say, give me solutions that meet my pace of play, that fit into my pipeline at scale. And a lot of AppSec programs go, oh, you know, I've got this heavyweight tool or I've got this tool I can customize, but it's going to throw a million false positives you're going to ignore anyway. So now the developers are turning back on AppSec programs, which I think is awesome and saying, you guys come back when you have when you have tools and processes that can play with us at scale. So I think that's fun. I think now we've got champions out there who are, um, really technically capable on the security side. You know, I think there was a lot of sort of back and forth between AppSec folks and developers and saying developers didn't, you know, you, you don't know how to build secure code. You guys don't know what you're doing. Now a lot of them do, and we have to catch up to advancing the conversation. You know, if you show up to a developer with an old school SaaS scanner that takes four hours to run, you know, no way. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I think I think that's really fun now. And we have so many ways to build bite-sized pieces of AppSec into what developers are doing. If we can do that in a smart way and engage those champions to help do that, they'll be willing to. Um, especially on the back end, right? If you have to sit there, you get a, you get a bug bounty um, finding and you got to go fix it, or you know, um, Seth as a consultant comes through and finds four vulnerabilities, and now you got to go back and fix it. That's so much more of a pain than if you're just kind of finding sprint after sprint and dealing with it at your own pace. So that's that's the direction that you know that's the, sort of the holy grail is standing up that great satellite champion program. Um, and um, you know, Yahoo had a a great program like that. And um, you know, now that we're moving into Verizon Media, actually, um, we're leveraging. There's some great stuff that's happening over at um, Verizon with Mona Khalil. Um, and they have a really nice program there. So, you know, I think there's some good opportunities to build that out. It's one of the things I really want to do in 2019 to make sure that 
we can federate AppSec because I'll just, I'll never have enough people. Yeah. When you, yeah. When you said, uh, oh, sorry, Seth. I, go ahead. Go ahead. If you got questions, uh, go for it. Yeah, no, because I was going back, you had mentioned um, things we can do to, or bite-sized things we can do to integrate AppSec into like developers' daily work. And uh, I was just wondering, like, what are some examples of stuff that you see that works um, in that? Well, I've got some things that work and some things that are hypotheses right now. Um, <laughs> That's what, always the way it's going to be. There's always going to be things in progress. One of the things that I really like is, you know, we've got um, some automation where we pump um, any any findings that we have directly into the developer's change management process, which is great. But then, you know, then you say, okay, wait three months until you have an instructor-led training. So this whole notion of getting just-in-time, bite-sized information to the developers at the right time. So the one thing that um, we're collaborating on within uh, the Paranoids is, you know, dynamically go out, gen um, the defect, and then drop in a two minute video somebody can watch along with a class, but something that's just enough that a developer will stop and spend time on it versus making it this big heavyweight. Here's the curriculum for all OWASP top 10 training one at a time over the course of the year, right? So, um, you know, that's one of those things or, um, you know, hey, let's, let's eradicate a vulnerability class from our code base and we'll start sprint over sprint over sprint. And we'll start with a certain, you know, finite number that you can kind of chew on um, and we'll enable you with some tools or maybe, um, you know, a custom rule this sprint or, you know, here, here's a bite-sized nugget, right? And this came, this came from, uh, or was reinforced, but um, it was an AppSec, um, AppSec USA uh, in San Jose last year. And um, I think Avi from the Israeli chapter was talking about in a sort of threat modeling within the sprint. So, you know, you don't have to do, and, and, and there's challenges with that, right? But, you know, you're going to drop a certain feature. Let's let's take a look at that feature in micro for this sprint, rather than try to do all the heavyweight work and you're just never going to keep up, right? So keeping those different strategies and techniques, and they have to all be kind of combined in different ways to have the full value. But those those are some of the things that I think we just need to continue to get to across, across the AppSec spectrum. I've heard of um, the idea of, I think it was, you know what, it might have been Breakman Pro and Secure Code Warrior, where if a finding, if if a find if it finds something, the reference, um, I think the reference points to secure, like a tutorial or some training uh, you can watch on uh, Secure Code Warrior that's similar, uh, but I'm not sure if it's Breakman Pro. It might be. It might be. Um, but yeah, I, yeah, I like the idea of it. Yeah. I, I mean, I just linked to stack overflow. That's usually cool, right? <laughs> well, Hey, that's where they, that's where you got the issue. So <laughs> yeah. Rock on. No, fix I, from there. I mean, that's a great idea to build out a library of, Hey, guess what? We, we really only need a two minute, like short video on cross-site scripting. This is what it is. This is how to prevent it. Um, I'd be interested to see. I mean, I know you could link to like YouTube stuff, but I don't know if there's actually curated content that's out there for that, right? Um, I don't think I've necessarily seen it. I, I mean, I know we can go to Secure Code Warrior or somebody like that, but it'd be interesting to see if there is something, some snippets that we can we can actually call to. I mean, OWASP has their cheat sheets, but you, you have to go and read through that or you have to go and like, you know, figure out the descriptions. If they're not reading the description that's in the vulnerability as it is, how do you actually make that more palatable to the developer to actually go view that content? Yeah. 
And I've been asking the training vendors for years to come up with that piece. I said, hey, that would be compelling. That would you'd have developers the click the click rate and the ingestion rate would be so much higher than the typical you know just kind of fat curriculum. And you know, unfortunately, I think a lot of the a lot of the vendors, and this has shifted lately. Um, actually, there are a couple of vendors that I think are going to be able to service this now or at least pretty soon. But the way it used to be is just about training is compliance, right? You got to check the box. And so here's the curriculum and all the things you can show a PCI auditor to say, don't we have a great curriculum and we've pumped, we, we've put our developers through this training. And by the way, the OWASP top 10 training that you're going to get year after year after year and the same developer say, well, wait a minute, <laughs> do I really need to attain it, attend it again this year? So that's one extreme. And then this other extreme is this sort of just-in-time bite-sized training. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping more, more vendors head down that path. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting. I've seen, you know, well, especially with the advent of the Secure Code Warrior, like the, the online training platform where you're actually having to go in and at least identify vulnerable code and fix vulnerable code. I've seen a couple different vendors that are playing in that space mm -hmm. that, it, I mean, it's really interesting to me, right? There's the, I, the other one, Ken, that we were talking about recently was like the Hunter 2 platform as well. Um, yeah. Like, I mean, they, they spin up Docker instances and, you know, everything behind the scenes. So people have to go fix things and it, it works pretty well. Um, but I'd be interested to see like a, somebody actually come out and do that, a, like a spectrum, not necessarily this instructor led course seems to be that's where most of them are coming from. But what exactly what you're saying, hey, guess what? We've got a five minute segment on just XSS and you can just license all you can eat. You know, your developers can do whatever as long as that's coming in from your IP space or whatever it is. But yeah, I'd be interested to actually follow up with some of those guys. So, I mean, as you identify some of those, kick those over and we'll, we'll post about them. Cause those are, that's, that's definitely a space that I think a lot of people would be interested in. Yeah, we'll do our, um, our proactive engagement team has been uh, doing a lot of research and good work on, on that front. So I'll keep you guys posted. Cool. <clears throat> Sweet. So that was AppSec minute. It only took us 26 minutes this time. So <laughs> I'm slimming down. I'm slimming down. Anyway, we, uh, there's a lot of resources that are out there. Uh, Ken, did you post any of those? I didn't actually follow. I uh, don't think I did, but I will. <laughs> or we can. Let's, uh, let, let's talk with Sean. Let's get his background a little bit. Um, if you've got it in front of you, yeah, let's, let's go there actually. Um, Sean, how did you get into application security, right? Uh, Ken mentioned IBM. Um, I know you've been kind of a project manager at some point. So what was your path? What did you do in school? Like, how did you end up where you're at? Yeah, it's a, a, a strange tale, right? So I started out as yeah. a uh, bio major. So I'm, I wasn't a I wasn't comp sci kind of guy. And um, I did some work at um, Department of Energy and then in a genetic toxicology lab. And, uh, you know, my, my claim to fame there before I, I, I got out of the lab running and screaming was a publication as a Grisio fulvin induced chromosomal aberrations in Syrian hamster embryo cells. Was I know I was reading that and I'm like, what does this even mean? On your, you know? It was amazing. Wow. With no, that no, really I know how my wife feels when I like start like talking cross-eyed scripting and right. I understood the Syrian hamster embryo cells now that I can wrap my head around there being Syrian hamsters. Yes, I, know, right? I don't That's know why thing. that would be a weird thing, but it's a thing. It's a thing. But uh, but really that meant I sat in a lab dressed in a, a lab coat, gloves, and a respirator for eight hours a day, every day by myself, listening to music, working on 
you know, research and trials and that kind of thing. And then um, I said, wow, this is not fun. So one of the things I picked up in the lab was just taking care of some of the desktops, doing some of the data crunching, right? So I started getting IT. Um, I said, let me get out of bio. I knew somebody who was in the lab there at the, um, sorry, who was in IT at the lab. And she offered me, you know, a, a job. And then I talked to somebody else and they said, hey, we're looking for people. Uh, we'll train you up. And so I got into software development and uh, systems integration. And then I headed over to IBM and I sort of switched over into troubled projects, project management, where they would fly me, you know, pretty much up and down the East Coast just to deal with gnarly projects and get them back on track. Um, and then I said, you know, got into cyber, started reading more about it, thought it was really interesting. Oh, I use the word cyber. Oh, that's bad. Got into uh, security. And uh, um, man, now, 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 I, now I have to mark. We won't give you a hard time. That's it. Right. That's, Sean, that's thanks our... for coming to <laughs> <goodbye. laughs> Um, so, you know, uh, security looked really interesting and then I had this great opportunity at College Board to become an information security program manager. One of the first programs I spun up was their application security program because of my software development background. I was a good fit. Um, we had um, Sigital in there at the time and, you know, uh, we built out the, the application security program. We had an amazing executive sponsor on the uh, software engineering side. Um, big shout out to Brandon Jackson, who was a great supporter of the program and, and really got it. Um, so we were able to have some great success there, build that program out, uh, did some more um, information security work, uh, got involved in incident response policy, just a bunch of different things. And then um, opportunity showed up at AOL and AOL, Oath, Verizon Media, here we are. <laughs> yeah, a lot of changes that's, in yeah, a few that's, years, but. Yeah, yeah and that's, that's not a typical, like, I, I, definitely most of the guys that we talk to, it's more technical on the, I, I you know, I guess biology works, right? You know, everybody has a different path and risk profiles, right? It's all about risk profiles and everything's the same at some level. Viruses. I mean, come on, right? See, see, it all, it, it all makes more sense now, Sean. I can see how it works for you. But I was really a defaced websites definitely as bad as Ebola. No, I mean, you know, exactly. But, you know, I think uh, there was, the, the, I gravitated to AppSec and I think it was because of the, the opportunity to sort of continue to build software, but to figure out how to help them build software in a secure way and not get in the way of delivering at pace, right? Trying to figure out how to do that. So it wasn't more about AppSec from that compliance standpoint and pumping out reports and giving them defects, but really how to you know, build that culture and build that relationship and what's the recipe for building, you know, an AppSec program. And so that was the part that sort of really, I was inspired by when I got there. And that's why I've kind of gravitated to that, that space in particular. Yeah. And as an industry, right, like that, that space has become more and more interesting. I mean, through my career, you know, as I, as I kind of move through the different aspects of doing things, it becomes more interesting because, like there, there's only so many ways to find something like cross-site scripting, right? And at some point you want to scale that and be able to do it quickly in a developer's pipeline and you want to manage a program. It's almost like you start to step back and say, all right, you know, the single instances are interesting, especially if there's a cool new technique or way to actually identify them. But as an industry, we're pretty immature about how we handle that once we've found it, right? I see that in multiple organizations. I, I mean, I can, you and I, when we were in Envisium, how many times did we get a report or did we do a test, a yearly test for somebody that had the same findings from the year previously, right? It, it happens all the time. 
quite a bit. Yeah, it's, we've talked about this before. It's just this, yeah, thing that never changes. Yep. Yeah, consistent. And that that goes back to being a management problem, not necessarily a hey, we could find the vulnerability problem. It's how do we engage those developers to actually make that change and make that secure security happen and make them and make I, them care would, about doing it everywhere, right? Not just hey, I found this one thing. So go surgically fix that one thing, but rather I found this one thing. Now think holistically about your code base. That's the thing used to oh man drive me nuts, right? Where you know you find a, you know cross site scripting on one parameter of the page, nineteen others they'd ignore it. They fix the one, right? Come on, come mm -hmm. on, you can do better than that, right? So you know working with the developers to you know when they finally go that route then it's it's just it's an it's an amazing moment in your program that's where things are starting to stick that's where cultures are starting to shift and partnerships are being built yeah i mean i, I would almost counter some of this to say that there's also in, in our reports included we're not any different from this some of the stuff that we reported on ultimately didn't matter to the to the both security and developers, right? I mean, that's that's another thing that doesn't get talked a lot about it is that consultants, you have your specific checks you look for, but contextually it might not mean a thing. And and if you put something that's higher critical, yeah, that, that's likely to get fixed if it's higher critical, but below that it's all contextual and whatever the, uh, the teams think it makes sense to prioritize and fix, so. Yeah, and uh, like along those lines, you know, and as a, as a Consultant, I don't want to admit this, but hiring, having a hired gun come in to actually fix something without, or like tell you about vulnerabilities without context, uh, you you lose quite a bit, right? Because I, I, if I only have two weeks on an engagement and I don't understand an application as thoroughly as like a product security team does, it's going to be very hard for me to classify that risk properly so that they take it seriously when you hand them that report. Right. If you've got a product security team that can ingest that, you know, from the bug bounty researchers and actually give it some context, that's going to do a lot better than just handing off my report to a to a developer and saying, "Go fix this stuff," because it, there, there's not going to be any of that institutional knowledge there. Right. Yeah. There's that's there's like the con side to the consultant could be that like that we don't we don't have a window into your business every day. We don't know like your development teams. We don't whatever. Like we we get we get a target and we're basically mercenaries that come in for two weeks or a week or whatever. And we do what we do. And we hand you off without, without any sort of like prejudice or understanding of your environment or anything. We just, we hand you off a report, but the pro to that I'd argue too, is there like, definitely there are some things where it's twofold. One is um, you already know, like your team's uh, predisposition to certain things like, Maybe they don't really care about this, so I stopped. I just stopped reporting it. But maybe a fresh eyes, somebody's new take on the impact of that and risk of that issue, and an outside consultant's report. You know, and hey, now it puts it in front of people. Maybe they look at it a little bit differently. And then the other part of that is just simply like you. You know, if you're working in the same code base every day, I, I, I you're not a fresh set of eyes. You're, you know, you bring in somebody from the outside, and they can look at this from a completely different sort of risk perspective or find different bugs than you, you know, you're used to seeing in your application. So I don't know, long winded rant, but 
No, and you know what? Same thing on the on the product side, right? You get somebody who's attached to a product for so long, you know, not not to say they quite go native, but they've seen that code base for so long, built those relationships for so long that, you know, they start to they start to maybe you know get a little desensitized to change over time. So swapping those folks out could be a great direction both for career, but as well as getting that fresh set of eyes, you just have to have the ability to kind of cross pollinate quickly, right? And that's where, you know, Seth coming back to having a mature program and that ability for somebody to latch onto a new product, ramp up quickly, and then bring that fresh set of eyes is 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 a good good thing for, you know, when you're when you're talking enterprise scale. Yeah. That's a good term yeah. to desensitized. I feel like that's accurate. I thought you were going to say going native. Uh, that's what I want to do is go native. <clears throat> no more bills. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't, no I don't more know. I'm upset. <laughs> Let's see. What, what? Yeah, I need another shot of cough syrup. That sounds about right at this point. <clears throat> yeah, so so what's your ideal then sean right uh like what is it that you want to see not necessarily like there at verizon media but from the industry what do you see is kind of lacking when you look across the board and you want uh, you want help from the industry what is it that you're trying to find you know one of the one of the biggest things i've come to really appreciate are is vendors who care about my success more than the bottom line and this, if they care about my success and we build a good partnership, the bottom line will come. But there are so many vendors out there because there's so much money in security right now that they can deliver bad service, bad consulting, bad products, and it's okay. And then they slap, oh, it's now, oh, it's now the era of DevSecOps. So let's go ahead and say we do that. And oh, by the way, ML, AI, right? And whatever's next. Um, oh, blockchain, blockchain, got to throw that in there. And, you know, they, they, they do that and they're not focused on how do I listen to this customer? Because the thing is, there's some gener generic issues in security. There's some very sort of unique flavors based on all the different cultures. I mean, that's the thing. There's sort of a recipe that generally works. Um, and then you got to tweak it for each culture you hit. And so the consul the consulting companies and the product companies even that can come in and say, uh, I know I know what this company needs versus what this company needs and have that combination, man, that would be that would be amazing to me. I have I, I don't have as many vendors like that as I would as I would like. And so when I find them, they're you know diamonds in the rough and I want to hang on to them for as long as I can. So how do you find those vendors or how do you, I mean, do you, do you have like a strategy of, okay, I'll start small with these folks and see what they're capable of or, you know, use word of mouth or what's your sort of like, I mean, that seems like you said, there's a ton of vendors and it's certainly hard to suss out who is, well, not always so hard, but well, you know, sometimes can be. Yeah. You know, some of it's radar based, right? You, after enough time, like, you know, how, how do they approach, how do they approach the initial interaction? How do they approach the sales um, the sales opportunity. Um, do they do they lead with you know? Do they listen at all? How much do they speak? How much do they ask about my problems? Are they trying to sell me right out the door, or are they willing to spend some time and invest a little bit longer? All right. Um, you know um, what? There's a there's a security vendor podcast by Mike Johnson. Right. There's some interesting stuff happening there. Um, there's you know all the different trade shows, but you get you know you just you you meet you meet some folks and you can tell when they're passionate they really care about the solution. And then, you know, you dive deeper, you say, Hey, that's, you have an interesting product or consulting um, service. I need that. And I'm getting a sense that 
you're really in it to solve a problem and not necessarily hit your quarterly target, right? And so then you dive in deeper. Um, and I remember, you know, early on, early on, we did a um, this is this is a while back, date myself, but it was an ounce fortified bake off, and the two vendors showed up, and you know, I'm not even gonna. I mean, I think folks who remember that that time will probably guess how this went, but you know, one vendor just, you know, came in hard, was not listening, was just, you know, we're, we're the best. Another vendor came in, listened, was responsive, seemed good to work with, um, really seemed to care about our program. And um, there was one tool that, that worked better. Um, it was a little bit better than, than the other one for our space and what we're trying to do. But ultimately we went with um, the, the company that we felt like aligned with our guiding principles. Right, so product wasn't quite there, but we were willing to invest some time to see if they could get the product there and take that particular product out. So um, I feel I feel pretty strongly about that. Both you know people that we hire, um, both as full time folks, consultants, uh, companies that we work with, I really really want them to be in, you know engaged in our in our success and be all in and having a success story. And I think we'll both be successful in the end. I know that was yeah, cool. it's so crazy how relationships, I mean, I've given some career advice and before and over and over, I'll say the same thing. Relationship building is like understanding that, that aspect and, and understand like placing an importance and emphasis on it is like, what's going to be best for everyone. Right. Um, cause you care, people know that you care. Um, you have a good network of folks. Um, yeah relationship building is incredibly important, especially in sales sales. You really, really need to have some emotional intelligence, some empathy. Um, really, if you want to be good at it anyways, you know, build some, build some of those strong relationships with people. Yeah. You know, and I, there was a, there's a sales guy I once worked with. He didn't last long. Um, this is back when I was in consulting, but he said, Hey man, I could sell, I can sell you security services, software development services, girl scout cookies, tires. doesn't make a difference. I can get you to buy anything. Right. I was like, okay, there's there's a place for that kind of sales, but then in in security, we're just so everybody's so unique. Now, now I have a, I'm heavily bent towards the commercial space. So on the government side, you know, I don't know if that might be a little bit different, less relationship and pure. You know, do you meet the check boxes and we'll buy that product? But um, you know, what I've seen on the commercial side is just you got to understand us, and we're all a little bit of a different special snowflake. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, that's, uh, hey, Seth, you know, Alex, our friend, Alex, uh, who runs the consultancy, AppSec yeah. consultancy. Yeah. So, um, you know, he and I were talking about just, he was asking me like, you know, what kind of background should I be looking for in, in say, you know, sales and, and whatnot. And um, I was telling him, I'm like, you know, the funny thing is like, we've not found in the past the best and you and I can I mean, we've definitely, this has been the case. None of the, the best salespeople that we came across actually knew AppSec when we hired them. That was, it was more, mm -hmm. they were super good with people and really great listeners. And you didn't get the sense they were just waiting for you to shut up so they could talk and pitch you something. Um, and from that, I mean, they could learn, they learned AppSec and we, you know, we, we did a lot to help to train, we did a lot to help train them, but um, that wasn't the major skill that we were looking for. And so anyways, I explained that to him and, you know, and Sean, I'm sure you've dealt with Amy or Clea that, you know, they're, they're fantastic sales folks and they didn't, you know, start out in AppSec. Mm, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting where, where that actually happens. And 
I don't know. Like, you know, to that point, Sean, as well, like I, I think about running a large product security team or even like your own little AppSec team, if, it, if you're one, how much of the, <clears throat> how much of your job is actually sales, right? How much is you going out and selling to development orgs, to developers, even as a consultant, right? If I like, if you don't show some empathy and you don't show some understanding, they're never going to actually fix that bug or they may fix it because it's compliance related, but they're never going to want to deal with you again. Mm -hmm. And that's, so it's not like, I don't, I don't think necessarily it's just a vendor problem, but I think it's an industry problem that we deal with is we just think, Hey, it's because it's security. You have to go fix this. Right. Right. So you need, you need a DAS solution and ours is the best. You're going to buy it. Right. And it's like, yeah, we need a DAS solution, but you're not, again, this goes back to that holistic program, right? You're not looking at my program holistically. If it doesn't fit all the parameters that I need and help me manage that relationship with other people and help me sell, sell it, it's not going to be a solution that we can use. So yeah. even though if you, you do 1% more than everybody else, that's not necessarily what I'm looking for. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, when I was in consulting, I sort of burned in that that sort of both consultative and sales approach but one of my one of my favorite times on a consulting on a site was when i turned down business when they asked me to do something and i said it doesn't make sense for you or we're not that's not in our wheelhouse so i could do it but here i recommend you go to this other firm and invariably every time and i didn't do it because of this but it built trust right because it said yeah i'm looking out for you don't don't waste your money on this thing. And then three more projects would drop in and we would have business for a couple of years. But, you know, and same thing here, running, running a project team in an organization like this, we've got to listen to our developers. We've got to listen to the business and understand what the pressures are and understand, you know, I think there's the one thing we fail to understand. And I think this is that same, you get desensitized to your requests is in a large security team, multiple people are asking for things. And guess what? So is internal audit. And guess what? So is legal. And so is privacy. So you're not even the only person who's coming to them beyond just pure pumping out functional code for customers. So you have to recognize that you're one of many pressures. And so how do you get their attention? How do you um, respect their time? How do you deliver them valuable information? And not, you know, like Ken was talking about, these wasteful reports that are just yeah, here's a lot of garbage, right? Here's 300 informationals. Go have fun. <laughs> oh, come on. That's useful. No. <clears throat> yeah, I, I, I mean, it, it goes back. Like, we start, we, like I know I bag on static analysis tools a lot, right? Um, but that's, uh, that's the biggest problem that I have as a developer with, with anything that comes from the consulting side is usually it's not actionable. Usually it's either too much information, there's too many false positives, there's no context, and so, like, at, you know, I'm trying to provide that as a consultant. So, you know, if I'm looking at a Fortify scan or an ALT scan or App Scan Source, whatever it is now, see, I dated myself there too, Sean. But if I, yeah, there you go. You know, but, uh, you know, if I'm looking at one of those, that's the first thing that I'm going to do is I'm going to distill that down to something that, hey, that's what I care about as a consultant is like the risk based approach. But th- is it helpful for you? Is it helpful for the developers? Can I actually help them out rather than just handing them something else that's going to make their life harder? So. Yeah, I just want to say for the record that I did prefer ounce. <laughs> nice. <laughs> How did you know which way we went? <laughs> well, because it's a tool that allows you—I mean—allows you to customize 
as much or as little as you want. Um, so yeah, it's the, the better tool. It doesn't, it won't even work if you don't compile everything correctly. So it has, you know, the libraries included. So it's good, hard, but it was good. It was hard. Security hard, is hard, but it's good. Yes, <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah. Um, well, sweet. Uh, let's see. Okay. So, Sean, uh, on another note, right? Like, there was something else that we were kind of talking about initially, like before we jumped on the podcast. And in general, it was about finding security talent. Right? Mm. You're building a large team. I know you've got pools of consultants and employees and management and bug bounty researchers and everything that's there. How, like, what are you looking for in someone that's new to the team or in someone that's a seasoned professional? Like, how are you identifying resources? Oh my gosh. It's so, you know, it's so hard right now, right? Everybody's competing for that same kind of talent pool. And I, I don't mean to be cliche. I'm sure we're all saying that, but my big focus right now is trying to figure out how can I identify potential where it doesn't look like it's a traditional AppSec kind of resource, right? Um, you know, something where there's somebody who's destructive minded, um, they get code, they're creative, they're, they're interested, um, they're, they're fired up about problem solving, um, and they want to make this pivot from going, you know, going from being a, a constructive builder to, you know, a destructive mindset and thinking about how to break software, right? Um, how, you know, taking, I, I've, I've had some conversation with some folks on the team about whether or not you have to be a software developer to be a successful product security engineer, right? Um, and so, and, you know, there are some people, have, you know, just absolutely, right? Some of the best people we've had have come from the software development ranks, and so they must have built software. And then, um, you know, one of my really strong people, um, he's written software for himself, but he's incredibly passionate about code, and he doesn't necessarily have that enterprise software development background, but man, he can find all kinds of goodness, right? So, um, you know, where do you, where do you find that talent? Where do you find that talent within your company and outside your company? And then, how do you convince people that yeah, they're they're not going to hit the ground on day one, ready to go? But let's invest three months, six months, and at the six month mark, they might be one of the up and comers of the whole team, right? So that's that's the tricky thing is how do you convert potential into something you could codify in an interview process to get through that process. Because um, I think everybody's still looking for, and in fact, this is an indicator of a real mature program, I think, when you're not looking for the senior or principal AppSec engineer that you can hire the junior person into your team, recognize the talent, onboard them, and then have the future senior resource. Um, so that's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm working through it right now. Um, I think, you know, there's one, there's one recipe I have. Um, it has worked every time. It's hard to identify, but it's somebody who's been in a software lead role. It's been a software developer, say two to five years. They've taken on a leadership role and it's been a leadership role in a security, developing a security function, right? So they've taken on um, a, a security componentry for their product. And they also happen to be uh, looking, for, I'm giving away my secret now, everybody's going to grab this, and I'm just but, um, and they're also, you know, pivoting into getting a master's in InfoSec. So they don't have it yet. They haven't done AppSec yet, but they've shown they're interested. They've shown that they like developing security modules, but they also have software development as a broader experience set. Those are great 
those are great talent to bring in, right? So you can get those through your champion program. You can get those through, you know, searches um, on resumes. Um, and then, and then where's the other, where are the other creative places, right? Where's the, where's the person who wants to make the pivot? One of the a great guy I, I used to have on my team and um, he went out on his own and is doing really well now. He came from a QA scripting space. So he wasn't a, a developer by trade, but he he used technology to enable his job well, and he was able to make that pivot into security, um, give him some training, and he was amazing. So, um, you know, that's if I could rinse and repeat on that, I, you know, I feel like I could keep the keep the train going on getting getting the team you know populated and not have to look for the senior appsec talent that we know is so hard to find. Yeah, yeah, and that's always the. That's always the issue, and I, I mean, I'm going to pose the same question to Ken, where he's at GitHub as well, because um, as like I, I look at like hiring, you know, in my past, you know, consultants and others in my career, it was always kind of, all right, like you quantifying the passion is always difficult, right? Um, like, and even looking at someone's like GitHub repo or, you know, CTF results or whatever it is, doesn't necessarily give you a good idea of how passionate that person is and whether or not it's it's interesting to them that they're going to make that leap. Yeah. Uh, so I like, I don't have a good answer for that, right? Like I've got ideas of looking for people like, especially the bug bounty researchers nowadays, it would be interesting to actually, you know, hey, guess what? I know you're doing some bug bounty stuff it looks like you're, you know, in the couple hundreds or whatever, like you're not necessarily in the top 10, but is that a space where like you could pull someone from and turn them into a project engineer because they are interested or, you know, so I, like, I think the hacking events and stuff like that are another place that are, are definitely interesting. Um, but it's I also, yeah, we do. I mean, we, so we like GitHub itself has a really strong intern program. And that's not just for, you know, obviously security, that's for the whole company. So uh, every year there, there are some interns and so that will apply, right? Like we'll spread the, the word around um, social media and then those of us that are on the team and the various like Slack and Discord and whatever groups that we're in, we'll say, hey, we're uh, looking for interns. And sometimes you'll get college students that are, you know, part of those hacker Slacks or Discord or whatever. Um, so then we get a, we get a bunch of applicants and we have a scaled down version of the true inner, like the, cause we use a rubric. I always use a rubric to keep it, uh, basically very factual, um, to make it uniform and to keep sure that, to, to make sure that it's not influenced by whatever, like however you're feeling that day. So it's a, a scaled down version and, um, unlike, I would say it's, it's a lot of what we're looking for is um, not necessarily that you found every single vulnerability, but a lot of the, the, the rubrics kind of like, what do you understand? How well did you, how well do you understand code, et cetera, like that stuff like that. But um, you know, the, the, I guess what I'm saying is we, we get folks that apply through the internship um, through the interview process, which is like, like I said, it's pretty uh, uniform. It's pretty well, uh, planned out. Um, that's how we kind of find folks that look like they could do the job or, and then, you know, honestly, like it, it, you're working with those folks for like six months or three months or whatever. I think it's three months for the internship, but then usually they'll come back because we, you know, chosen 
thankfully so far we've chosen great people uh, for the internship. Um, but uh, yeah, so that's one mechanism. And the other thing you talked about was uh, security champions. And from that standpoint, I'll let you know, cause we're going to, we're going to run a uh, tournament internally um, like a CTF a tournament. Type, type so, so like, yeah, that's what I was just going to ask. So like a CTF, like, are they fixing code or is it just like breaking? What, what is it that you're having them do? Yeah, so it consists of challenges where you um, both identify where the vulnerability is and then, well, it's it's run by Secure, secure Code Warrior. So it's like of that sort of, um, you know, identify the vulnerabilities, choose the, the correct fix. It, it'll be timed. Um, and, you know, that's sort of how the, the tournament goes, so. Excuse me, I've, I had chili before this, and I'm, it's really hitting me hard. Got to leave the onions off next time, man. <laughs> yeah, no onions. Just oh yeah, there might have been uh, there might have been onions. Yeah, yeah. yeah I question on here on the yeah, on, oh, you're me. <laughs> you're me, Seth. <laughs> on the uh, on the internship program side, I'm curious if you do you open it up to developers, and then you have as they as they pump through the the questions in the rubric some siphon office developers and other siphon office potential prod sec folks, or is it literally a different internship um, paths and somebody applies to be a prod sec engineer? Uh, Cause I'm wondering if, you know, as you're going through and doing code tests, you can kind of see somebody who's more destructive minded and peel them off to maybe go down the route of security rather than development. Well, um, uh, actually I learned this, not this last week and the weekend before at AppSec Cali, I stayed through the weekend um, and, uh, went to lunch with one of the ProdSec team members. And for us, ProdSec, yeah, it just means you're building in security related features. So anyways, we went to lunch and, and come to find out, and I didn't realize this, is that his actual internship had started as an AppSec on the AppSec side. Um, and, but had, he had shown, he had like, actually, mo interestingly, most of the, um, the people that we, we, we interview, they, they do come from more of like a development standpoint because unless you are doing bug bounties, you, you may not have like a ton of professional experience uh, finding vulnerabilities in source code. So anyways, um, yeah, it was what you said there about like showing a passion for sort of building things and thinking about how can we make, um, how, how do we not just find the problems, but how, how do we prevent certain um, security badness from happening? And so, he was moved up when he came back for the full-time position. They were like, do you want, do you want to do uh, product security or do you want to do application security? We've got openings in both. And so he chose the um, obviously product security. So, mm. Yeah, that's great. And, you know, if you can align, uh, I mean, this is classic strengths finder stuff, but align people's strengths to their jobs and, you know, happy folks, good production, good stuff all the way around. So that's awesome that you guys do that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, it's interesting. I haven't seen anybody do it software. Like anyone apply for that as, Cause it's an internship. I haven't seen anybody with like who, within the company. I don't know that it's, I don't think it's open. I think it's just open to students, but that is an interesting concept. And Seth, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I did think that's an interesting concept to say like within your company, here's an internal position. Because I think the only thing that would be the big blocker is like they're being going from salary wise X to, you know, whatever, whatever the, the gap is. Right. I'd assume at a, if you're going from like a, a mid to sen senior level developer to, you know, let's say a uh, junior develop or security person, like that salary would be the only thing I could think of that would be 
a blocker. Well, sal salary and the title, right? So somebody's their senior in that role. You try to make the argument that they need to lose senior because they're coming over. They say, look, I got all this sweat equity into the company. I'm not giving up that senior in my title. I say, all right, you're not necessarily a senior, you know, engineer, but all right, let's, let's go for it. <laughs> yeah. I didn't even think about that. Cause, uh, the in a lot of cases um that title is like you like you said the title the title and the salary go go kind of like hand in hand in a lot of places so yeah. even if you could get in the same salary i mean and there's also just the aspect of the the title but yeah but yeah uh, and then they join the know. team they with this inflated title where they don't necessarily know appsec with people you know the parity problem and it gets tricky it gets tricky fast can <laughs> Yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. But it would be cool if you could say, look, um, you know, allow, allow it to open up to various folks, figure out the salary and title thing and, and uh, bring some software developers in the company over. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, that's the traditional problem that we have. I, I don't know, like it, my only reticence with uh, internships was you know trying to do internships with a small company that really didn't want to invest in interns right um and not having the resources to be proper mentors for them or having it suck up time when you know that mentor had to do something else i mean as a consultant having to be billable trumps everything right even you know if an intern is sitting there and you know drawing you know they're what 10 bucks an hour or whatever it was right it was it was a very difficult prospect and I almost felt like we did them a disservice in some situations because it was, Hey, here's a task, go do it. And, you know, I'll talk to you again in two weeks and we'll see where you get right. You know, just, there's not a lot of, you know, help there, but I want, you know, I wonder in those models, if there's a way and it's hard when you're, when you're a small company, but could the consultants have been incented with bonuses for taking care of the interns and, you know, you relax the billability requirement while they have an intern and then look at that cost basis against what does it take to invest, to recruit people into the firm and then, you yeah. know, find that balanced. Right. I mean, that's, that's, you know, a little bit more work, but I mean, how awesome, right. You could actually, in the time that you spend with the intern, get, bonus for it or hit your billability requirement because you were spending time with the intern. Um, yeah. yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. I, I mean, so I like, the, like, um, like the only thing that I was saying there, and it's probably not necessarily to you too, cause you're all in, you know, big corporate and have lots of money, but you know, if you're trying big to do corporate, this, huh? yeah, big corporate Microsoft over there, if you're, you know, money signs, hey, we operate independently, <laughs> big money signs, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if, if you are running a small program, make sure that you are thinking about that up front. If you're going to hire an intern is making sure that, hey, number one, like it's scoped properly, but you are investing enough time from a senior resource to help them along. Um, because I know I know some of those resources that we had, Ken, and this is from the time that we were together, probably could have turned into pretty, be pretty good consultants, but we never gave them the runway to do that, right? No. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and that, that, that's on the company that's on the leadership for not, you know, being able to invest properly. So you guys will do it right. I'm sure you know, there's never any gotchas. So, <laughs> well, for us, it did, it did work out well. Uh, we, I believe we've hired every intern that we've had. Interesting. Well, know if, that's but, a conversion rate. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I could be, could be wrong, but, uh, and the cool thing too, though, I'll say is that, um, like when I was talking to Matt, uh, 
he had other offers from other really awesome companies, but he liked the culture there. So not to tout us too much, but we got that going for us. So. <laughs> I don't know, Sean, is that something that you've looked into before is actually running some sort of an internship? Oh yeah, we have, um, there's multiple internship programs here and actually um, within within the Paranoids, we have um, one team in particular that's got just sort of a, a great pipeline um, and an approach to how they uh, bring in interns, uh, get them ramped up, and then the the conversion rate. I don't I don't know that one off the top of my head, but I think it's pretty solid. So there's just some great learning, and um, you know, and then and then how do you keep how do you keep that moving and those folks growing, and it, it almost gets into that triangular consulting model where you got the junior folks, and then so many go to you know intermediate, so many go to senior, and that kind of thing, and then you got to keep pumping the the junior people through. But um, yeah, there's there's a lot of support for that. Um, I I've literally been so busy that I haven't been able to kind of jack into the internship program, which is a horrible excuse. I mean, there's just no excuse. In fact, I said I would not use the word busy in 2019. So you guys now, was it February, whatever? You just yep. got <laughs> oh, so zero days since you mentioned busy. busy. Yeah, it's, this is an explicit episode, Sean. <laughs> what are we doing here? Busy cyber. That's what we're doing. Busy cyber with, you know, cold medicine. And it's just, it's out of control. It's out of control. It's out of out of control, that's for sure, right? You know, next thing I know, you're going to be dancing on your desk there. You know, oh, I did that before. I'm, I'm exhausted. Oh, you're exhausted. Okay. You know, no, I, from a selfish perspective, it feels super good to help somebody else get it, get their career going, and like from like a, a just a, um, a warm fuzzy for yourself. You know, not for uh, just from that from that uh, sort of selfish viewpoint. It's really nice, but from a but from uh, you know the, the bigger grander. The, the right way to look at it. You're helping somebody with their, uh, with their career. So. Oh, absolutely. You know, one of, um, uh, a, a buddy of mine from, uh, my old, old job used to, we always used to talk about sort of mentoring and having, always having a mentor and always being a mentor. And we talked about giving back and he said, always freely give back. That was, which was given to you already. Right. So you think about those who have passed on to you, it's your obligation to sort of do the pay it forward concept and then mentor other folks. So yeah, that's, I'm wholeheartedly, buy into that can that's good stuff yeah i mean we should yeah. we should pin uh hoodlet keith isn't keith the one that runs that infosec mentors yep. project yeah infosec mentors uh org i think let me yeah dot net. I, I mean dot that's net. a pretty good that's a, a pretty good place to go and I, I mean honestly that's not something that i've ever really been involved with like i've had a couple people like through my career that have been mentors but it's never been kind of that so formalized um, but definitely it's like, like I can see it as being useful. I don't know. Like I, my big thing, right. Talking, talking to people that are in college asking about, you know, Oh, they're going into computer science. And I'm always like, man, you should come into, you should come into the app sex space. Cause this is where it's at. And they're like, yeah, but I want to go develop video games. And I'm like, you really don't guys. You really no, don't. you don't. <laughs> Have you read anything about developing video games and what that's like? That is the worst. I know. I I know. And they're like, well, I could do my own little like, uh, you know, iOS game and sell it on the app store. And I'm like, no, you really can't. Right. Like, you know, you, you know, how many games are out there? It just, so I, that's, that's the struggle that I've had just talking to people that are in school currently is like, man, you know, come hack stuff. Right. And that, that seems to be where I've actually found the most success is yeah. when I can talk them into coming to the local B sides event 
that I can talk them into coming to some meetups. And all of a sudden they're like picking locks and they're doing other stuff. And I'm like, man, like, let's translate what you're doing at school to something that's going to give you a great career rather than something that's going to, you're going to hate your life in five years because you can't find a job because you're just one of another, you know, a hundred QA testers for EA or whatever it is. So anyway. Santola yeah. made a good point, which is if you mentioned to us that you got your AppSec, uh, you, you get your AppSec news from Absolute AppSec, you're hired. <laughs> 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 automatically automatically all right so we'll pimp it so ken Perler will hire you <laughs> we, we, we can send him to you too sean if you want him to go that direction too it's a done deal, a done deal especially episode 45 right, episode 45 listen yeah. to this get a job verizon media there you go we, we, we've got it's it recorded here 45. <laughs> no it's awesome i i don't know i like because yeah not not many people that I talk to, right? Like necessarily know what what we do. Um, like when I when I and I'm not talking community wise, but I'm talking like just like neighborhood friends and family. There's always some kid that's like, "Hey, I'm going into computer science," and I, like that's been the traditional problem that I've had um, is just, "Hey, you you need to be showing some interest in this this portion. It's going to be better than doing you know something crappy like Rails development, right? Right? Yeah. Can, what kind of loser does that? I'm sorry, I, I had to get my dig in for the episode. I'm sorry, we're not uh, running on Java two uh, e or whatever you you're you know you're used to developing on or COBOL or whatever shit you wrote code in. So, hey, my my, my COBOL is still running. You got to is your hieroglyphic language. Was it yes. just etched into tablets? And stuff? Yeah, 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 yeah. Keep trying, keep trying. You'll get there. <laughs> Eventually. Eventually, I'll figure out how to make old jokes about you. <laughs> I um, you one thing I want to get to, though, uh, from, from, yeah, yeah. One thing I definitely wanted to ask you, Sean, um, since we're over an hour now, um, where before we before we got off, I want to ask you about your sort of uh, resources or what it what what like influences your leadership philosophy or you know anything you any tips you can give anything that from around leadership that sort of you know helps helps kind of show what what type of style you have or influenced it. Yeah, you know, there's there's something that happened like really early in my career, and it's sort of it's sort of set the stage for, you know, how I wanted to behave professionally and, and how I wanted to lead. And, um, you know, I, I, I was at a customer site and I completely screwed up. These are the days when you can like walk right into the server room. It was, you know, somebody's office and just open the door, go in. Right. And so I was in there, I thought I was in a QA environment and ended up propagating some bad changes to prod across the country. Really, really serious screw up. And, um, you know, I was able to back it out after a whole day and some drama and, um, the next day, my boss came on site, and the seat we were meeting with the CIO, and uh, he's like, "Hey, I got you. I got you covered." I said, "Awesome. This is my boss." And um, we go into the meeting, and I'm, I just can't wait to hear what he's going to say. And when it comes to this particular topic, my boss says, "Yep, we screwed up. It won't happen again. We're sorry." I said, "What? 
what? What was that? And uh, afterwards, he said, no, no, you know, you just, you got to be honest. You got to own it. That's it. I don't, you know, and then we went up to the CIO's office and this guy was former military. And, um, you know, it was, it was me and my boss. I was pretty sure I was getting fired, by the way. And then the, the CIO. Oh, man, that's ter terrible. Oh, it was awful. The CIO drops F-bomb after F-bomb. Just, you know, you completely effed up. You know, you're, you effed up and say, okay, get out. So um, I get out and then he just ends up talking to my boss and says, yeah, I just wanted to scare the guy. He can come back tomorrow and just make sure he's not going to do it again and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, it was it was just sort of this honesty and ownership, you know, um, and, and walking through that and seeing my boss just kind of, you know, whether the account was on the line or not, he was just going to say, look, you know, we made a mistake and that's it. No excuses, no anything. Anyway, so, you know, I think just sort of being um, genuine, true, true to who you are, you know, I really care about um, the people who work for me. So my leadership style was inclusive, trying to figure out um, how to drive their careers, drive their, you know, professional interests and um, really build a team that you care about. Um, and buy into what we're doing and have a piece of what we're doing. So um, it's kind of that servant leadership philosophy. Uh, so that's, that's a direction that, that I, you know, I really try to go. And I think if you're true to yourself and you're really interested in people, good stuff will follow, right? And there's um, somebody I follow, uh, Bruce Kazanoff. He's a great guy. He talks about sort of leadership and management um, by kindness, right? And, you know, that can, that can be taken advantage of and there's other things, but, you know, if you think about what, you know, how can I help? What can I do for you, right? And in fact, when people slack me from uh, Verizon Media, one of my first things is say, hey, Sean, I say, hey, how can I help you today, right? And it's literally, it's just, you know, hey, um, how, how can I serve? What can I do? What can my team do? We want to help enable you. So that's sort of the the philosophy that I have. And, you know, um, I, you know, I think, I think the team appreciates it. They can let me know later if, uh, they're buying in, buying what I'm selling here. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. I mean, actually, one of uh, my, uh, I guess there's a new one that's out and I haven't read it. Um, I think it's called The Dichotomy of Leadership. I haven't read that one, but uh, Extreme Ownership. Love that book. Uh, great management leadership book. Um, I was in the military and that was sort of leadership. So in ter terms of what you said, which was essentially you know, outward, outwardly facing to another department, hey, we're sorry, we'll make this right. And then inwardly, privately being critical of whatever happened and saying like, you know, don't let it happen again. That's very much part of that uh, leadership training. And then, um, you know, the, the other part being like, actually not just saying, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna make it better. You know, we're gonna, we won't do that again, et cetera. Like actually believing and making, I mean, making that a, a forefront sort of like of, of importance, truly owning that, like, we, we will find a way to not let that ha happen again. And it was my fault. And even if it was, you know, Sean, who did X, Y, Z, he's underneath my leadership. So that's on me. I, maybe I didn't train him well enough. Maybe the policies weren't clear enough. Maybe there weren't more whatever safeguards in place. Anyways, just agreeing with you. And I think extreme ownership talks a lot about that stuff and everybody who's doing leadership stuff should definitely read it. Yeah, no, that's a great one. And, it, you know, another one that I keep coming back to, and it's a classic, is um, the five dysfunctions of a team, right? And so, you know, um, reversing that and having things like, you know, uh, accountability, trust, healthy conflict, right? The ability to sit in a team meeting and disagree wholeheartedly about an approach 
but leave and understand that you're doing it to make everyone better, right? Rather than, you know, having it be sort of acerbic and just for the the, the, the joy of fighting, right? It's not, it's not about that. It's about challenging each other and making each other better. I mean, those are the kinds of things I just, I just, I love that philosophy. And then the same thing, StrengthsFinder, that philosophy of focusing on what you're good at and investing in that rather than, you know, me trying to be, um, you know, Steph Curry, it's, it, it ain't going to happen, right? I could practice 10,000 hours. It's just not going to happen. Let me focus on my wheelhouse and build that up and complement a team with you know, folks with different strengths. I have to read that book now. I did post a link. Hopefully it's the, the right book. Um, uh, the five, uh, oh, five uh, the, yep. Um, You're happy to do it. Yeah. That's a, I, yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I don't, I don't know. Like I, I'll be honest, like I haven't read a lot of management books, right? This just hasn't been my, like, I'm a sci-fi geek, right? That that's what I read on a plane. Sorry. But um, along those lines, like the stuff that you're saying makes a lot of sense to me. I, I, like I, I think about kind of the consulting mindset that I got into early in my career where it's you get asked a question. It's like, hey, how can I help? Right. And then taking ownership of what you're good at and saying, hey, I can help you in this way. But if you want that expertise, I don't know who can, but I can go figure out what what you know, how we can help you somewhere else. Um, and at least owning up to what it is that you do as opposed to what other people do um, seems to be pretty effective. So I know you read rework Seth, so you can't I say did, you I don't did. read. I don't read, I, I don't read a lot of management books. It's just, you know, <laughs> yeah, it, it is just what it several, is. just several, just a couple <laughs> here and there. I, I am also on, uh, you know, <laughs> cold medicine. So there you go. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I like rework too for different reasons. It's kind of very different from what we're talking about, I think, but still yeah. like that. So cool. I guess I'll link to that too while while y'all are chatting. Yeah. Yeah, Sean. So I like I, I don't know, I appreciate people that do. Like, like so, you know, even though that I don't, like I appreciate that there is a lot of analysis and a lot of thought that goes into that approach. And I think I've picked up some of that from dealing with people like yourself as far as Hey, this is the approach that works best when you know managing people, dealing with people, helping you know, <clears throat> helping an organization, however that may be. So. Well, you know, and and AppSec and and security as a whole is about sort of um, you know uh, transformation and change management. I mean, there's a there's a big piece. You know, a lot of security leaders start out as engineers and they're left brain focused and and they believe it's a technical solution and it's you know it's a business solution, it's a people solution. You know, it, um, I think Bob Lord said if it was a technology solution, we would have solved it too. You know, many times over by now, right? So it's not a technology thing. So you got to have for you know the folks in security leadership positions, they they need to invest in understanding you know, if they're in those positions, understanding people, understanding leadership, understanding how we deal with change, understand how we transform organizations so that they embrace security rather than run from security, right? Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. <clears throat> well, good. Um, yeah, we've been going for over an hour. Like like Ken said, it, it always seems to fly <laughs> right along, right? This is great. Uh, yeah, it's been, re it's been really interesting, though. Um, uh, any place that you're going in the near future that people could meet with you or if they wanted to reach out, how do they get in touch with you? Yeah. So uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me. I'm all over Twitter. Escape zero zero. I mean, just, you know, 
I'm in there now. I'm, I'm getting uh, I'm more into the Twitter sphere. Yeah, for those who don't get that, just today I figured out that Sean has. I've been following you, and and because you tweet so infrequently, I could didn't even realize you were on Twitter. So. <laughs> we'll we'll change that in 2019. We'll change that in 2019. Uh, but I will be. Uh, I will uh, most likely be at uh, Beside San Francisco, and the Paranoids are going to have a big presence there. So looking forward to that um, live hacking event and uh, Paranoids booth, all that kind of good stuff, and then we're. We're doing, um, I'm part of the OWASP uh, Nova chapter, and we're uh, going to be leading the charge for getting OWASP uh, AppSec USA uh, here in DC around the September, October timeframe. So um, I'll be heavily involved uh, with that and really readily accessible in the area that, that week. So that'll be awesome. In between, I have no idea right now, but uh, often heading out to uh, Sunnyvale to uh, spend some time with the team out there. So anybody's in Silicon Valley and wants to hook up, flying into San Fran, drive the 45 down to Sunnyvale, got got my routine. So happy to meet up along the way and hit some Phil's coffee. That's my uh, that's my crutch. Sweet, the Phil's. Oh, Damn, I miss huh? the Phil's. That, that's the best. That's some good stuff right there, man. Now I'm now I'm gonna have, now I'm craving that. Pour some cough syrup in there. It'll be it's it's really good. Really good. <laughs> Wait, I'm, I'm hopefully hopefully I'll be healthy by the time B sides SF rolls around. Oh man, I hope so. <laughs> it's a little ways away. So. Cool. Um, well, Sean, thanks again for joining today. Uh, it's been really interesting to talk about multiple different things. Um, hope it, hope it continues to go well. Let us know if there's anything that we can promote from our you know, from our realm about Verizon Media or jobs or anything like that. I know, I know there's a lot of people that are looking that are out there and you know, we'll push them your way if you guys got openings. Yeah, we have, we actually have a lot of openings. So definitely, you know, if you just search for, you know, paranoids um, and, you know, uh, jobs and, uh, and workday, you'll be able to find um, all of our openings. We've got a lot of them and we're, uh, we're definitely hiring across the board. So if you're listening to this and interested, come on, come on down. Or reach out to me on LinkedIn and I can I can share any more about the jobs that we have. Uh, open. Yeah, I was going to say, I put your uh, I put your information on your Twitter information, your LinkedIn, both in the YouTube live chat, which is available when you replay this video on a desktop, and then also inside of our Slack channel. So that if anybody wanted to get in touch with you, whether it be regarding jobs, whether it be regarding, because you know, you, you've talked a little bit about the bug bounty life hacking events, but if they have questions about running a bug bounty or those live events, whatever they running security at scale, whatever they, they want to contact you at those links are in there. Absolutely. That's great. Totally happy to do that. would love to uh, make some new connections and thank you guys for that, you know, absolute AppSec podcast. I mean, or uh, live cast. I mean, these are, these are great or a lot of fun and I'm kind of jamming my way through them all. So this is uh, this, I'm honored to be here with you guys Had a great time drawing it up and, you know, hope to be on again sometime. Yeah. Yeah. We'll have you on. Oh, yeah. you know, we try not to make it onerous and, but yeah, it'll be, fun we can reconnect in you know a few months and see how things are going so sounds good yeah we we definitely appreciate it we're just now starting to get back to the first 20 what is it 27 2018 beginning of 2018 folks uh now so that we can sort of have people catch up with people that were on the show but yeah thank yeah. you for coming on seriously absolutely appreciate, thank it. You guys. appreciate it all right um ken i don't think there's anything else uh i uh I will be at B-Side Salt Lake City. That's in a couple of weeks, like February 21st, 22nd. Um, if anybody wants to hook up there, I'm not actually speaking, but I'll be around. Um, and other than that, I don't think there's a lot that's on our calendar. Uh, B-Side SF is coming up. Ken, are you going to be anywhere? 
Loco Mogasek, maybe maybe we'll see how the Tel Aviv thing goes. Um, yeah, but for right now, probably just Loco Mogasek, which I need to get my tickets. I was going to mention the Tribe of Hackers book uh, oh, yeah. that it's out and that the proceeds go to charities. They've On their Twitter account, you can see the list of charities that they're donating to. But this is a book full of, it's basically cybersecurity advice from a bunch of people in the security community. Um, it's worth checking out. So. Cool. Cool. All right. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for joining. Uh, Sean, thanks again. Thanks, uh, you're welcome. Thank you. Have a good night. Take care. All right.